Hi, I'm Ken Sweeney. This is The Comfortable Spot. Welcome. Today, my guest is graphic designer Malcolm Garrett. For over 40 years, Malcolm has been at the forefront of graphic design and has created iconic images for musicians and bands around the world. From the Rio album by Duran Duran to becoming a founder member of the 5D World Builders at the 5T Institute at USC in California, Malcolm is noted for his collaborative approach to design and education and is an ambassador for the Manchester School of Art and co curator of the annual Design Manchester Festival. When I was a teenager, Malcolm's work was a guide to me and allowed me to appreciate the importance of graphic design and how it is an integral part of making sound visible. I had no idea how our conversation was going to go, but from the very first minute, I knew we were going to have a great chat. Malcolm is engaging, humble and funny, and it's an extended episode, so I hope you're sitting comfortably and happy to stay with us. Malcolm, hi, how are you? Thanks for joining me on The Comfortable Spot. Oh, thanks for having me here. It's uh, it's going to be great, I'm sure. Oh, I'm living a bit of a boyhood dream here. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I kind of really, I'll be honest, I'll be honest, I really like doing podcasts like this. Thank God. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, I must like the sound of my own voice. I like I like talking about stuff that I have a passion for yeah. uh, and, and, and I've always had a passion for. And I kind of, it, it sort of aids me a little bit to, to recount some of those Mm-hmm. The, some of those things that I've always liked or I re- return to. And um, at the end of it, I always wish I had my own radio show. Yeah, you've you got know. a voice for radio, Malcolm. You definitely do. Why not? Why is it? Why no, are we well, not here? People, people always say that after, after they listen to me on a podcast. They're <laughs> saying, why have you not got your own show? And I go, I don't know. Why have I not got my own show? How how do I get one? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I can do a YouTube show with you and we can dead, we can get all your stuff on. We can actually do a visual representation as well because that's what we're talking about today, isn't it? Because you are the man. You're the man when it comes to the graphics. <laughs> well, that's for you to say, you know. I, <laughs> no, I, just, no, I just do what I do. So to go back to your question, what inspired you yeah. to p- pursue a career? It's It was natural. I do what I do. I, I once described it as, as, um, as word games in pictures. Because I've come to realize that I have a real interest in language and the use of words, but my interest kind of translates into a visual representation of words and a visual representation of ideas and thoughts. And I think that's what really inspires me and, and, and always has. But I've only kind of come to understand that a, a little better in recent years. So a career in graphic design, I mean, there was a time, you know, when I was 15 and I'd have never heard the term graphic design. You right. know, the, my my A-level art teacher, uh, Mr. Hancock, he, he told me and my school friend, Peter Saville, mm-hmm. uh, who we, we were both in the A-level class together. Wow. Uh, he told us there's this thing called graphic design that you can study. Uh, and and I recommend you kind of go and look at it. So we we both ended up doing a graphic design course in in uh, in Manchester Polytechnic and how did i get started in the industry because i was a music fanatic uh-huh. you know i was i would every other week or every week i was at the Ma- manchester free trade hall watching bands you know all my spare money was spent on records you know i was totally into music and and if you like the countercultural 
aspects of, of music to kind of define, you know, define my lifestyle or, or my developing lifestyle. So it was sort of quite natural that graphic design, music would all come together somehow. And that, that really came together just through meeting a band called Buzzcocks uh, yeah. uh, around the time the Sex Pistols played in Manchester. And, and I sort of, um, I guess I imposed myself upon them. Mm-hmm. You know, they needed somebody like me to help them with with you know it it would now be called marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but but basically they needed you know I felt that I was in tune with what they were about in a visual sense. And uh, we got on well together. I was introduced by another uh, uh, college friend called Linda uh, to Howard Devoto and oh, Richard from magazine, yeah. Uh, well, before he'd formed magazine, funnily enough, he mm-hmm. just left Buzzcocks, and and his school friend Richard Boone uh, 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 and he were were managing this the the new Buzzcocks, uh, you know, the post Howard Buzzcocks, and um, and Linda introduced us, and yeah, we started working together, and I, and I carried on effectively carried on working with Buzzcocks right until Pete Shelley sadly died. Uh, a couple of years years ago in 2018 and were you involved in fashion as well i mean would you consider yourself a fashion person did you like you know did you take care of what you wore and did it reflect on your own personality i i totally took care of of, of <laughs> what what i wore uh, I, I was expelled from school for having long hair and not wearing a tie <laughs> right. not wearing school uniform uh, and my mother refused to allow me to be expelled and sent me back the very next day <laughs> um but i i always you know, I always had a, a, an eye on on my, my clothes and what I wore, sort of wanting to stand out. In fact, another school friend of mine, Keith Breeden, who also went on to design records, leaves, once described me, and he was apologetic later. He always said I was a show off, a bit of a show off. And, 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 he, and he was embarrassed about that. But he was right. If, if all my hippie friends were wearing caftans and um god what's the the the, the coats with the furry edges i had i'd have to have the biggest and the brightest or the longest mm-hmm. uh you know my loon pants had to be you know bright white or bright orange you know i i kind of always went a, I, I kind of stage further sort of wanting to stand out i guess and lily allen who's somebody i re- i really admire and and really love her records um she once said it's not that i'd want to be different it's, I don't want to be the same as everyone else, and sort of that was my thinking. I wasn't trying to be a different person. I was wanting to be. Uh, I was wanted to be noticed and actually liked for being noticed. So, so it's a, it's a kind of weird balance of wanting to kind of be seen to have some kind of edge, as if you have kind of, you know, you can you're you're trying to say to the rest. Certainly, you know, at school level, you're trying to say to the to the class that, that you know more than they do. You have some secret yeah. arcane knowledge that they don't have. <laughs> you're a bit of a shaman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's obviously for other people to describe uh, to, to, to describe me. It's, it's you know, I can just say what was I trying to achieve, and um, and I've been trying to assess that in the 45 years since. And it's it's really weird that I'm talking to you because when I was a kid, I was like 12 or 13. I lived in a working class area in Ballyfermot mm-hmm. in Dublin. And it was real working class. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of cash. So when you got like five or six quid, you went into town and you bought a barrel of secondhand records. It would have been 150, maybe 250. Sure. So you would run the risk of walking home to get that one album, you know, like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to get that one then I'll walk home today. So you, I also had a brilliant option in that. I had a couple of guys on the road who were three or four years older than me. 
So they kind of liked me. So they introduced me to stuff that was like five or six years out already. Yeah. So yeah. the thing was, I was kind of got a jump start on a lot of the other lads that were in my class. Having an elder brother. Yeah. Uh, and I had who, elder... who has that, that, yeah. that future knowledge or past knowledge yeah. is, is really important, I've come to realize. And I didn't have it. I had elder brothers, but they were too old at that point. They were kind of in the blue oyster cult and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't kind of embrace that till later on. Right. So right. what I was getting was, I was getting thrown Heaven 17, Duran Duran, all that kind of stuff was being thrown at me, mm-hmm. in particular Japan. But what I did kind of look out for, I would go into town and I'd look for records. And what I'd do is I'd have a kind of a categories of that I'd see type through because we didn't have YouTube, so we couldn't listen to anything in advance. Mm. So I'd pick up the sleeves and I'd look through A, B, C or D, right? And then I'd find an album and I'd say, okay, look at the look at the album cover. Who produced the album? If it was somebody that had already produced something that I, I already had, mm-hmm. John Punter, Colin Thornstone, something like that, I'd give it a go. And then your name also came into that category. <laughs> so if Malcolm Garrett designed the sleeve, I would say, okay, I'm going to give that a go. And that was like how I judged stuff. And that was how I learned, you know, and how I found out new music. I got the impression that you liked a lot of the bands. You would have listened to a lot of the bands that you worked with. Am that's, I right in thinking that? That's pretty that? true. You yeah. know, I, I, as I said, you know, earlier, I, I, you know, I really was into music uh, and I'd be quite discerning uh, about who I would, dis- you know, want to work with. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, there's a certain commercial aspect to it. You know, you run in a business and you get asked to do something, then you kind of consider it because you've got to pay the rent. But luckily, I got invited to to uh, to work with a lot of bands that I I really did enjoy working with, uh, and and I think one of the one of the aspects of, of my work at that time was was that I worked for a long time with bands. You know, I worked with Duran Duran for seven or eight years, and and continued to know them and work with them. I worked with Culture Club for five or six years. Yeah. Simple Minds. You know, was was an an eight year unbroken uh, uh, run, and you you sort of got to know who you know who you were working with. And I like to think that what we were able to do, you know, at the at the Assorted Images Studio, because there's other people working with me. There's people like Gary Mower who worked closely with me for Simple Minds, and I came to realize that I wasn't really interested in designing record sleeves. I was really wanting to try and produce some visual imagery that summed up what both what I felt about the music, the music was was telling me, but also worked for the bands themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that so that, you know, the I know in retrospect, because I've heard Jim Kerr talk about it, that that what we did with Simple Minds, Jim Kerr really got into and really, you know, Appreciated is the wrong word, but but he, he saw you know the, the the empathy that our visual representation of what they were they were doing was right, uh, and and uh, and he was you know very supportive, and and I think that's I think that's that's a very very important thing. Even though I was inspired by record sleeves, you know I was um, you know the Velvet Underground banana sleeve. Frank Zappa was very influenced on me. Cal Schenkel's uh, sleeves uh, uh, and record sleeves for electronic music from from Germany, like Neu and Amandul and Tangerine Dream, was very influential. But really, I, I never thought of of my work, if you like, as designing a record sleeve. I was always thinking in terms of how do we make sound visible, because that's the thing that's inside a record 
yes, it's a bit of vinyl, but actually what, what you're trying to package is what's on the vinyl. What are those noises? What are those sounds? What are those lyrics? Because because if if you don't have a have that visual reference, your brain will make one up time and time again. You know, it's like polls on you know what's the most iconic record sleeve. You know, always number one or number two is Dark Side of the Moon, and Dark Side of the Moon has got that great George Hardy illustration of just a, a prism with light being split into into its con- constituent parts by a prism, and you see that and you think Pink Floyd. And you're already hearing money, it's drag, and vice versa. If you hear that album played, you think of that visual icon. And at its best, um, that's what graphic design does in music. It makes an indelible visual connection in your brain with something that has no physical form beyond, you know, permeating the airwaves. For me, it's always making sound visible. And Malcolm, do you listen to the music before you design the albums? Uh, it really depends. I mean, the, the music industry is such a fast-paced industry that you might get word from the record company or from the band saying, you know, our next single's called. I mean, this is an example. I've done two or three record sleeves already for Simple Minds, uh, and I got a call saying the next single's called Waterfront. And and so and I'd just done Sparkle in the Rain, and we'd done, I'd done uh, uh, New Gold Dream. And so I did a record sleeve. I did a sleeve for Waterfront, not having heard it, just as an evolution of previous sleeves. And I got this call from from Jim, and he was really embarrassed about making this call. And he just said, and I won't try and do his accent, but he's very soft-spoken. And he just said, Malcolm, I don't like it. And I went, that's okay. That's that's fine. You know, I'm a professional. He said, have you heard the record? I said, no, I haven't. You know, nobody's bothered sending me. I'll arrange to get a cassette sent over. So a cassette came over, you know, everything. You would use motorbike couriers. Within an hour, I'd got a cassette of the next single, and I put it in the cassette player. And I went, oh, fuck, he's right. (laughs) This track is so different to to anything previously that that, you know, the the graphics just took a whole different, um, you know, it was such a strident, production it was just you know you you can remember that bass such a great song and just so different and so i called him i said jim you're right (laughs) that sleeve i just done is rubbish (laughs) it's like it's just so wrong yes you if you get a chance you listen to the music but really i'm generally generally i wasn't trying to represent a song or a song title or an album title i was always trying to capture the mood you know, the capture mm-hmm. the tone so that so that, you know, those those visual audio audio connections would be made because if because if the tone of the visuals was the same as the tone of the sound and where yeah. the band were going, then you've done your job. I wasn't an illustrator. I've done a sleeve or two where which does pick up, you know, a, a kind of specific, you know, I'm just thinking noise and noise for, for Buzzcocks is me illustrating that idea. But that wasn't my modus operandi. I, I, I wouldn't go out to try and illustrate anything specific, but I would try and to capture something that I felt was, you know, what I felt about the music. One thing I noticed about when I remember looking back on the iconic ones, and not saying that you're still not doing it, but the ones that I'm, let's focus on some of the 80s one for a moment. There was more of an emphasis on the design of the the actual design of the f- sleeves rather than the image that maybe would have appeared in it. 
like for example you look at say the first original Duran Duran album when you look at that picture it looks dated but when you look at the album sleeve and you look at the consecutive sleeves that came around it in terms of the 12 inch singles or whatever they were all designed to the same style they all hold well they, they hold up well and I was wondering um, do you strike a balance there when you're reflecting the artist's vision and then creating a design that resonates with the target audience it's always about creating that balance mm. uh, and and I think that was one of the areas that distinguished uh, me and Assorted Images from the previous generation of designers. Previous generation designers had concentrated on putting a picture on the front of the albums. And then the marketing was putting the album sleeve on the poster. Whereas I never really was interested in in the album sleeve as a kind of mini art gallery. I was interested in in album sleeves and album packaging as 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 a box that holds something as 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 I said holds something that doesn't have physical form and my training as a graphic designer uh, led me to be able to understand they call it branding now but I'm not sure we call it branding then uh, and just I knew you know I began to realize quite quickly by experience that there would be a number of singles from an album and 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 around the album you'd have a have, uh, flyers and posters and and record shop displays and then later on there'd be merchandise there'd be t-shirts there'd be and then there'd be fan club stuff and duran was 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 a great example of how we sort of um really looked at how all of those pieces fitted together so so i was always thinking in terms of what do we need to put onto a onto a sleeve that will work as a standalone, but also gives us a lot of of uh, leaping off points and to do all all of the marketing and and that was what I kind of really got excited about. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the first Duran Duran album, and because that's a case of the band or the record company have chosen that that picture and they wanted to use it. And I was always trying to convince Duran Duran that they didn't need to put pictures of themselves on their sleeves, um, because the music, the uh, the music press were doing that for them. They were exactly. doing that job. They and really they didn't need it. They should think in terms of their sleeves as being beautiful objects that they themselves would want to own. And it's interesting is is out of all of the record sleeves, the album sleeves are designed for Duran Duran. The one that doesn't have a picture of the band is the most uh, t- uh timeless and, and the most enduring and, and obviously you're smiling you know i'm talking about rio. rio and interestingly enough it actually works in a way that that i was working against it you know it, it does work as a standalone 12 inch square it is iconic but again i've been presented with with that image of uh, the patrick nagel illustration of the woman i've been presented with that and i just you know my rebelliousness just said fuck that i'm not putting that full frame on the on a record sleeve you know i'm going to present it within a malcolm garrett framework which will give me a lot of components whether it's just the use of color or the typography or the use of diagonal stripes or you know bits and pieces of of graphic ephemera um that that i can pick up on and so in a future release, all I've got to do is put a few diagonal stripes on it and you make the connection. For me, it's both liberating and future-proof because obviously I don't know which records they're going to put out in the future. You know, it's only with hindsight you look, oh God, all those singles, they fitted together. But, you know, at the time, 
I didn't know what's going to come out next week. It would be next week. As I say, you know, you'd get the call saying, we need some artwork for this. <laughs> this single's shooting up the charts. We've got to be ready with the next one. And it's going to be Save a Prayer. We need a sleeve for it by Monday, which was both tricky because you had to think on your feet and move fast. But it also gave you, you know, the the confidence just to pretty well just do what you wanted. You know, you didn't have to run it by a committee of of people who would kind of go, oh, I'm not sure about that shade yeah, of blue, yeah. or shouldn't that type be a bit big, bigger? Working with the same people over a period of time, you develop a kind of mutual trust. And so, so when they say, Malcolm, we need to sleep by Monday, they know that they don't have to be on my in looking over my shoulder checking that that i get things the way they want uh they know that it'll go to press and and in 95 percent of the times it'll be it'll be right except for that one time with jim kerr <laughs> <laughs> but malcolm that album cover was just amazing it was like um it was like a glimpse for a teenager back for me then it was like a glimpse into the glamorous adulthood you yeah. know there was there was a certain um I think it was for for the band themselves. Yeah, well. yeah. There was an untouchableness about it. You know, this glamorous lady. Uh, you know, there was shades of Roxy music there. You know, there was Absolutely. Miami Vice, even though Miami Vice wasn't out at the time. There was all those kind of things that were floating around. And I remember being in, having a conversation with a couple of people at a dinner party one time, and somebody asked to sum up the eighties in one image or one phrase. And I I had my laptop at the time, and we didn't have my smartphones, and I just pulled up that picture. I just said that. And most people they really didn't even know what it was. And they all went, oh, yeah, what is that? I said, actually, that's an album cover for Duran mm-hmm. Duran's second album. And like these were younger than me. Most Some of the people were younger than me and they didn't quite grasp who it was, but they knew of mm-hmm. Duran Duran, of course. But they all immediately went, oh, yeah, that is it. But I think what was amazing about that album, and I'm going to just dwell on it for a second because it's just worth doing that, is that <laughs> you took a chance with some of the typeface fonts. Like you went with kind of a Western style typeface font. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I thought, like, looking back on that, that was perfect. And I even at the time, I said, that's perfect because it really went with the color scheme as well. A mm-hmm. lot of bands at the time, I remember looking at, say, bands like Flock of Seagulls or something like that. They kind of went with mm-hmm. these kind of squares, altered images, you know, the kind of triangles, colors, blah, blah, sort of stuff thrown in the corner with a white background typeface. And then the kind of Space 1999 sort of skinny type logo. But yeah, the, yeah. the um, you went with just this was completely different. And I, I always remember it. I can see it right now in my head. And if that doesn't tell you that it's made an impact, nothing will. You know, and uh, for me, it was, of all the albums that came after that, you know, Duran Duran were always very um, image orientated. And I can tell you a quick story about Seven and the Ragged Tiger now in a second. But of all of them, you have you said Rio is the one that they, they didn't appear on. And I think it's the one that stood out. But, you know, in Seven and the Ragged Tiger, the inside cover where you where you had the big triangular kind of uh, logo style thing. Yeah, the diamonds. They were all <laughs> diamond shaped. Logos, I know guys yeah. who got that tattooed on their arm. So. <laughs> so, I, I, so that'll tell you how influential you are. I need a I need a photograph of that tattoo. Well, I don't I know actually, where they are, but I'm sure I can find some. Of I mean, the, the Rio sleeve out of literally mm. the hundreds of sleeves I've designed, that Rio sleeve is by far and away the most recognized and the most popular. You know, it's made it into top mm-hmm. ten iconic sleeves in the in you know. Uh, uh, voted in in the United States, um, and and that sleeve, you know, occasionally I give talks at at colleges or at conferences, and invariably 
I get people coming up to me and they're holding the sleeve because they knew I was talking and they brought the sleeve. And, and, and I've lost count of the number of people who said, this made me want to become a graphic designer. Uh, and, and for me, that really is the success of it all. It's like if if I've had as much influence or or a kind of com complimentary influence on people, because obviously if that album had been shit and hadn't charted, nobody would have seen it. So so, you know, I am I am, you know, hanging on the coattails. But but because it works, uh, because, you know, it was it was the, the second album in I'd, bought, I'd been working with Duran for about 18 months by then uh, and it all worked. Yeah, it has it has that that timeless that timeless quality, uh, and um, we talked about balance and and finding that balance between something that feels right and and quite often something that feels right. People make the mistake that in order to feel right, you've got to be already familiar with it, mm -hmm. and 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 that seldom works because it reminds you of something else. So you have to be brave enough as a designer to come up with something fresh mm. that will be associated with that album only, yet at the same time has enough qualities about it to make people feel comfortable that it works. And it's a delicate balance finding that newness with a sort of comfort and familiarity that people can immediately connect with. Mm. Uh, and and you, you know you you talked about um you know the, the western typeface you know the the blocks serif stretched you know it's like it could be a wanted poster yeah for, exactly. for Duran, Duran. i didn't want to say that but coupled, yeah. coupled with a you know an 18th century uh font bodoni yeah that's right you know and 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 again that was something that i i was conscious of doing of trying to find typefaces that nobody else had used mm -hmm. before trying to find typefaces that, that other people might think you know conventional you know uh, uh graphic de designers might say a kind of a bit ugly and and tasteless and i had this fear there's no such thing as a bad typeface design it, you know it all has its use uh, uh, and um now there are too many bloody typefaces that's you know, true i find it difficult choosing a typeface but back then i you know we used a couple of typesetters and 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 i'd kind of go through their catalog to see what we had and then dover uh books put out books of of typefaces uh which you could photograph uh, uh, you know you'd have the whole alphabet and you could photo photograph it and piece together the lettering letter by letter which is what mm -hmm. i think i did with that duran duran uh, uh lettering and yeah, and you and you just try and you and you do your best to make these disparate elements come together in a way that nobody has ever seen before, but somehow gels and and fits together. Um, I was going to add an, add another thought there, but it's been out of my mind. It'll come back. <laughs> Let's go on then. <laughs> come here now. We've gone on the eighties. So we might as well move on a little bit. Come here. Are there any trends in music related design that you find particularly interesting or exciting at the moment? Is there anything out there that you're going, "Wow, that looks good"? Um, I thought about this, mm -hmm. um, uh, and there was certainly a, a, a trend before. Uh, Myself and people like Peter Saville and Mark Farrow uh, 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 and and uh, and uh, town and country planning and uh, and even um, 
in in the eighties, people began to think about typography and 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 graphic design and 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 started to think about, uh, in my view, the best music packaging was thinking about design moving away from the idea of of record sleeves looking like record sleeves you know if you ask peter savile you know he'd say he never wanted to design a record sleeve and none of his record sleeves are meant to be record sleeves they're more kind of image carriers and, and but but out of that that attention to detail and that purism and there's a sort of kind of sense of of, of modernist thinking then then from the 80s onwards record packaging became increasingly refined and sophisticated and 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 i, and I did find myself going into record shops sometimes and picking up a sleeve and going god i wish i'd designed that that is so pure so perfect uh, and is better you know it's it's got is it's gone down the direction that i maybe started mm -hmm. uh, as a young designer but but hadn't taken to that that extreme and so when 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 we started the word typography wouldn't really have been a word that was in most you know in in the general public's uh uh sphere of knowledge you know but since we've got laptop computers and you've got a pull down menu that says fonts and you can choose different fonts people have an understanding the general public has an understanding that 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 words as well as having a sound they have a look and and you can choose that look and graphic designers that's what they do they choose the look and they choose a look because they think it visually looks right for the sounds you're trying to represent and so in, so throughout the 80s and 90s more and more students of art uh, began to study graphic design and more and more, more of those graphic designers got interested in typography uh, and designing their own typefaces uh, and and now i see you know with digital fonts you you can design an entire alphabet and all the component parts and publish it yourself so i i, I get a uh, a newsletter and it's called type one and and there's a kind of look to the fonts that you see in type one which is very florid and very uh very precise but and very elegant but very i, I I was going to say romantic, but it's not quite romantic. But there's unusual type forms mixed in with with this kind of regular modernist look, which is kind of developed from fonts like Accident's Grotesque and Helvetica uh, and 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 other uh, fonts of of you know what we we refer to as Swiss school from the early sixties when you know designers started to use grid systems and very rigorous discipline in where things should appear in a you know in a design and I, I, a trend I see is is a kind of reflection of that discipline but with a more of a free form florid um, component to it uh, and and so yeah I mean go and check out type one uh, and then they put out magazines and a lot of the designers i'm not sure if all of the designers of type one are female you know it used to be that that designing typefaces was 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 a, a boys thing typography was what boys did because it was like geeky but now you see some brilliant female type designers that there's there's a graphic designer i really admire called raisa pardini and she's doing things that are sort of verging on the kind of lack of discipline or uh or 
edginess or or, or illustrative kind of using using letter forms as illustration that I sort of rejected a little bit at the beginning of the 70s there's a yeah. hint of the of of 70s early 70s graphics uh, but it's very contemporary and so I I really like it and I look at her stuff and think that's fantastic it's uncompromising I was going to say, I was going to use the word ugly but it's like they're not ugly they're difficult uh, you know, if you're a if you're a if you're a Swiss typographer, her, her designs are difficult to look at, uh, but because they're uncompromising and they're, and they're very free. You know, they've got a, a, a really great energy, and so she's doing really great stuff. Um, so yeah, I yeah, go and check out Raisa Pardini. Um, she had a big piece at the um, at the Shangri La uh, field at Glastonbury uh, last weekend. They. they um, they put up posters behind behind the uh, um, behind the stage, and the theme this year was everything must go. You know, start again. You know, it's kind of very political. And 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 they invited designers to submit posters. So you got stuff by Anthony Burrell and Jana Plua, uh, and and there's a big piece by by Raisa. You can you can find it on uh, on Instagram somewhere or on YouTube. You're it's kind of intermixing with art, isn't it now? And it's not yes, become it's not as so disciplined it as it used to be. And I think in some ways it's a good thing and then maybe some ways it's a bad thing. But what you're speak, you spoke there a lot and the kind of the, the, the mood I was getting from you that, that it's a lot of freedom involved and that people aren't following the traditional conservative ways of doing things. And that seems to be happening exactly. in a lot of... But there's a recognition of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're very disciplined. You know, people like Anthony Burrell, you know, his stuff is just in black and white and it's just big mm -hmm. words. His piece for, for, for Shangri-La was just change everything. Yeah. everything change you know so there's a simplicity and there's a boldness and there's a discipline and i think that's that's also interesting is is that people are not afraid to have a voice to use that power of of language in a typographic way you know and, and so yeah. so for me that's the link back to the counterculture of the 1960s and early 70s it's like you know especially in the in the current you know political and economic climate you know we're and, all fucked and and <laughs> and, and designers are, are not afraid to tell us that elaborate and, and arresting ways and the advantage that the modern presenters if we say have is that they have a much wider audience than the people had in the late 60s and early 70s exactly exactly so there's a kind of one for everybody in the audience as a famous presenter used to say here on an irish television show <laughs> <laughs> so, you know if you throw something out you're Gay Burn. yes exactly you remember yeah. <laughs> exactly i know him yeah, yeah. i know you man yeah. so like he used to like you know years ago you'd have to work really hard to build an audience but nowadays if you get like a million people it's not such a big deal but yeah. you are making a real statement and you can make a decent living from something but as you say most of these people are doing it not just to make a living they're doing it as you said a lot of things nowadays are political I think I think they're doing it to be political, but yeah. also realizing they're not necessarily making a living, but they're not starving. They're be, being able to survive. You know, there's people like Hats Richardson. Check out her stuff. Sarah Boris. You know, there's there's a lot of and and a lot of women. As I say, there's a mm -hmm. lot of women typographers mm -hmm. with voices, and which I'm you know really delighted to see because you know if, back in my day, you know. There's, there was only one or two female record des des uh, sleeve designers, you know, Jill Mumford, Karen Goff, 
and it was all blokes you know and that's not healthy it's not healthy <laughs> no no and i mean look at the end of the day things are changing and you know there's a lot there is a counterculture towards woke and you know all that kind of things we yeah, could probably yeah. we could probably do a separate I, podcast I, on all I, that i am i am a self-acknowledged woke you know <laughs> if woke means you just care about stuff and you care about people yeah. then i'm more than happy to be woke yeah you know? absolutely and i agree 100 percent. like it's just about not being a gobshite as we say here in Ireland. it is it is yeah <laughs> you know if you're not not woke then i don't want to know you <laughs> and you know that's the funny thing that i noticed about your work even back then it was very very liberal it wasn't kind of traditional and conservative there was nothing there was no bullshit to it well thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks no, for saying that the, the one question i just wanted to hark I, I, back I'd, I'd hope uh, i'd hope that was the case so yeah yeah that's, that's come through yeah you know there was none of the hard or the conservatism that you'd see in the 60s albums you know they it was just a bright they stood out they spoke and even if they weren't using a lot of colors they used a lot of style um, one album that really gets to me and it's just I still have it at home and I pull it out every now and again is Sister Feelings Call you know it's just a great album and it's just a great cover sleeve that's interesting you say that because I was disappointed with that what? But, Why? Well, well it came out as, <laughs> as a budget album as as, as uh, and and alongside Sons and Fascination, fascination. yeah, and the, and the two sleeves fit together mm. however Sons and Fascination is a full colour sleeve and for whatever reason and why it wasn't a double album, I don't know. It was put out as a separate album, but because it was, and it had a different catalog number, and it was a budget album, which meant that the record company said, you've only got two colors. So it's blue and black. And and <laughs> to my eyes at the time, it just didn't really fit alongside. Yeah. However, that's just me as the designer. And I have come to to appreciate that it doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I had in my mind. It's how it works for you. And I have come to realize that that if you're too um, rigid uh, about your, you know, your your anticipation of how something might come out, then then you're stuck because how something comes out is how it comes out. And that's the way other people will see it. And if other people then, and they don't see any other options for it, they just see the thing as it is. And if it works for them, then I have, I have to realize it works for me too. I mean, I could talk about any number of my record sleeves that at the time I was disappointed. Can you believe I was disappointed with another music in a different kitchen? No my way. first ever album sleeve. Why? Because, because there were, there were external pressures making me use particular things on that sleeve and so i i had an ambition for doing it slightly differently and at the time i was mildly disappointed if you like that it didn't come out how i'd seen it in my head but the point is it came out like that and people love it loved it at the time and so now i love it so i have to put aside my disappointment and go with my appreciation of the reality you know i i I'm very much a realist in that regard. I want to keep you for a few more minutes, if that's okay, because uh, I, I could probably do another hour. But the thing is, um, I have to ask you this. Vinyl is coming back. So, you know, I'm actually going out. I'm, I'm going to cut you short. <laughs> is it really coming back? Yeah. Is it really? In real terms, is it? An album sells, you know, 50,000 copies rather than 10,000 copies. Yes, that's successful. Mm -hmm. But actually... You know, if you're Billie Eilish and you release a digital download, it'll sell 
500 million and and so so in comparative terms vinyl is not successful it's very niche and, and the so the important thing is people are not buying the music yes they're buying the music because they like the music mm -hmm. but they get the kind of download code and they listened it to us but they are buying a discrete package and so my idea of like music being not about record sleeves but about the packaging something desirable definitely yeah is really coming to fruition everything i thought about my attitudes towards duran duran and and that they should create things that people just want to own you yeah know, that you might go into a luxury store gift store and buy this thing because you want to own it that's where vinyl is now you know this and the yeah. special packages and you know really heavy um cardboard and 180 gram vinyl and all that kind of the fetishist stuff that's what a few people are buying the mass audience is not buying that i personally am now listening to vinyl as opposed to uh you know on my uh, my ipad uh, ipad or ipod yeah you know i am listening to vinyl you know i've, I've got a turntable at the side of me at this desk uh, uh but because i grew up with it i've got a back catalog of loads of records which i still listen to you know and i, and I tell this to people i said the music you listen to from the age of 15 to say 20 or 21 is the music you will listen to forever absolutely yeah and 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 there is no variation on that was same for my dad same for my nieces and nephews yeah same for future generations what you grow up with in those formative years will be because you choose to listen to what you think will help define you as a person and mm -hmm. ultimately it does so for me it's hawkwind it's king crimson it's frank zappa you know, all these things had a kind of formative influence on the way I thought, the way I dressed, and the way I conducted myself in in life, and and it's downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> it was like you know, as a kid, you'd get off the bus and you'd have like a hundred meters before your house, and you'd have the bag and you take the vinyl out of the bag. And you'd Absolutely. walk down the last 100 meters with the vinyl in your hand and people would come out of houses and go, what did you get, Sweeney? What did yeah. you get? That's exactly <laughs> right. You've, you've just illustrated. <laughs> or you would take it in, you know, I would take it, you know, and you'd take it in yeah. to school and you'd share it with your mates. Yes. But it was yeah. really important that you held that sleeve. That was that was the social media of the day. That was your Instagram account under oh, your arm. Definitely. And, and going back to what I said earlier, that's the sense of superiority that you that you felt because not only did you know that you had a you know a greater uh, more refined musical taste than the rest of the class you would demonstrate it by having the album of your choice yeah and it was really important so, <laughs> so to bring it right back to the 21st century that is the challenge for music industry designers today you know forget about album sleeves that's not really what it's about well you know vinyl or no it's not really about it it's it's about finding the places in which the visual component of, of a band is is on view and whether that's merchandise whether it's posters whether it's whether it's flies i'm wearing a t-shirt which says truth is the new gold which is my latest record sleeve it's a band called the feral five lovely name and they've just released this album called truth is the new gold and this is and, and this is a very it, it's sort of it, it's 
naturally it's sort of slightly visually referencing yeah. New Gold Dream. It's a great album. Uh, and we're finding ways of of getting that visual component. Now you've got you can do projections on stage. You know the live uh, uh, aspect of music is is way more important, really, uh, uh, than it was. You know when I was a teenager. You know I'd, I'd go and see a band, and you know unless you were Hawkwind with this amazing visual immersive experience. Um, band just came on you know led zeppelin came on stage and just blew you away with you know jimmy page's guitar work or whatever it might be um but now the spectacle the live spectacle is so important and that's the visual bit you take away with you you know the album sleeve has faded into insignificance in a way mm. alongside the uh, the you know that live visual experience but the point is the visual component is no less important making that connection between what you hear and what you see is still the job of the graphic designer but the medium has moved on has was there any albums that you would have looked at say around the 1980s and said to yourself god i really wished i designed that one you just spoke about it briefly was there any albums in spe specifically well, well, that for you can a while remember? you know I, I kind of really had a strong desire to 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 design for Kraftwerk. you know i i, I loved craft work and 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 even they went back and redesigned all their record sleeves. Uh, and and I remember when Man Machine came out, I thought, oh God, they've really botched this. But I just thought mm, they haven't fully understood El Lizitsky. And if El Lizitsky had done it, it'd be a little bit tighter, a little bit more refined. Yeah. But then you grow to kind of like it. I did get the opportunity to design a book cover uh, mm -hmm. for them. The 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 unauthorized biography. Uh, I, I even got to name the book. It was called uh, um, Publication. You know, I thought that's a great that's a great craftwork title. You know, publication with a K. Yeah, uh, and and I designed the cover. I designed. I thought they've done a logo for almost everything they've done. You know, there's a Trans Europe Express logo. There's an mm -hmm. Autobahn logo. What they hadn't done is a logo for craftwork, and and so craftwork means power station. And so I did a logo of a power station in four components. So it's like four the four members of the band were the four Very components. Good a measure of of how successful that was as a design is that uh, in germany craftwork contacted the publishers and forbade them from using the cover oh, okay. <laughs> because they said it looks too much like an official craftwork oh release. right okay yeah 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 and i thought yes i've got it right <laughs> And um, I was just wondering, did you, what do you thought of, say, something that was very kind of commercial, like Born in the USA, the front cover? What did you think of that? Uh, well, it was it was sort of the, the thing I was getting away from. Yeah. You know, I, I was I was getting away from, you know, there were th three there were three types of record sleeve back mm -hmm. in the day. There was a, a photo of the band or an illustration of the band. There was the uh, the Roger Dean type really crap illustration kind of esoteric picture yeah or there was uh, there was the hypnosis that's a really clever idea <laughs> <laughs> and and for me they were they you know the picture of the band was just like well it's a picture of the band you know so what uh and and the the esoteric illustration it it just said to me roger dean rather than who the band was or what the music was you know it, was, it just made all of that music the same and the clever idea was more about you know 
Storm and Poe coming up with a clever idea than mm -hmm. really it was about the music inside. And they weren't interested. In, none of those people were interested really in in the ex extending the visual environment in which it all sat. Uh, as I say, you know, I think if I did anything innovative, it was being part of the movement. It probably started with Jamie Reed or Barney Bubbles mm -hmm. that extended the visual environment beyond just a 12-inch square of cardboard. So going back to Born in the USA, it falls into that early category. You know, it's it's a it's a 12-inch square. It's a great picture. Can't mm -hmm. can't deny it's a great picture, and can't deny it's a great album. It's actually not to my taste. I've got huge respect for Bruce Springsteen. I think he's fantastic. Can't bloody listen to his music. You know, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> the idea of going to a concert in play and, yeah. and him starting to play and playing forever. <laughs> you know, it's like yes, I appreciate it, and I, and I think he's fantastic for that, and and I really appreciate the, his fans getting into that, mm -hmm. but not for me. So I, I'd rather you know. Five hours of immersive Hawkwind experience. <laughs> so I've one more I'm going to show to you and I'm going to just ask you about this one here. I thought you might be interested in seeing this. What did you think of, say, the Joshua Tree by U2? What was your opinion on that one? Because that kind of has an iconic 80s sort of feel. Oh, well, on, the, on the sleeve or on yeah, the album? The album one, yeah. And then, of course, there was the tree itself. I mean, it was done in the same style. Uh, uh, well, I, I didn't know what the Joshua Tree was. Mm -hmm. I mean, looking at the picture, I kind of realized there's somewhere in the United States in kind of some desert landscape. And, and you know, it's it's a great photograph. You know, it's, it's, it's the band looking like the band. Um, it's the kind of thing I steered away from. Yeah. But... But and and I hadn't really been into U two at all up mm -hmm. to that point, uh, but I have to have to say that that album is probably the only U two album that I really like. Yeah, uh, and, and and what I what I thought at the time is this is a Brian Eno album, right? Not, not a yeah. not a U two album. Gotcha. You know, and what Brian Eno was great at doing was was kicking people and pointing mm -hmm. you know finding finding their core talents yeah of a band that he's working with and and pushing them down roads that they wouldn't naturally go down but they naturally were able to yeah and so there's some fantastic songs on that it's undeniable you know with you or without you mm. or you know still haven't found what i'm looking for they're great but if you know if you listen to the album before that and the album after that that's you too. You know, the Joshua Tree is is Eno with you too. And that's why I like it, because I'm a huge Eno fan. Yeah, no, same here. And the reason I asked you that was because, you know, at the, that time of the U2 surge, which is coming out of, say, they had just done Unforgettable for a few years before that. And in Ireland, yep. they were already huge, but they were becoming worldwide. And Simple Minds were kind yes. of riding that crest of a wave as well. And oh, they, absolutely. You know, I mean, Simple Minds got a lot of criticism for being like, you know... Well, kind of, you know, I'd, I'd be a fan of both. If you, if you, and generally in Ireland, if you were into Simple Minds, you're into you too and vice versa. Right. But, you know, and I was just wondering, because you had a lot of involvement with Simple Minds, and I'm just wondering if, if you thought what you thought of that album. There, there was another album I was keen to ask you about, because it's one of my favorite favorite albums of all time and uh, i'm going to show you the image of it now tin drum japan it's a great album <laughs> very influential on um on duran duran i think you'll find a, especially on seven and the ragged tiger yeah you'll 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 be able to notice a lot of in my view a lot of japan influences and i think nick rhodes would probably agree with that yeah yeah it's a great photograph but again it's you know it's it's a great photograph how how are you going to work with that 
anywhere else you, you know how are you going to make a poster out of it well the, the funny thing is i i actually got a, a strange version of that i got um a fold-out sleeve that had see if i can find it it had it had the, the back version of it where the four yes. guys are sitting in the chair so I'd say there was a toss probably right. between that being the front cover and David Sylvian, but probably David Sylvian got the nod being the lead singer probably. But I yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's funny because I, I there is a rare you know fold out sleeve with that as an open. When you open it up, that's the big image in the back. So, but I was just, I was curious to see right. because it's for me it's one of the iconic you know albums that I have in my collection. I was curious to know what you thought of it. You know, well, well, again, it's it's done its job. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's made a visual connection yeah uh for you for something that the contents of which you know you you love and and you relate to and and uh, and so that that indelible connection has been made with that image um what i try to do is is not be so restrictive on what the image was even with rio you know, yes, it's a kind of singular square image and it works on that level. But as, as I tried to explain, you know, earlier, there were enough components with that you could pull out and use in slightly different ways for other other requirements. And you would still get that connection back to the to the, the mothership, if you like, of the of the album sleeve. And so so with that particular album, the Tin Drum, it's a great photograph. But there aren't any links. Yeah, that, you know, it's that's... that photograph or nothing. Yeah, yeah. And yes, it's got a lot of depth in it. It's got a lot of little bits in it. But you know, if you pulled out, say, the, that photo of Chairman Mao in the in the back corner and just used that <laughs> for something else, the connection would be lost. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, actually. Because you'd be th you'd be making other connections because it's Chairman Mao, you <laughs> yeah. know. Or if you use the you know the bowl of noodles, you'd be going, oh, oh, it's an advert for Wagamama, you know. <laughs> Finding that imagery that has that kind of strength also has a much greater flexibility. That's what I was trying to describe when finding that balance. Something you can pull apart, but take some of the essence with you in, in, in the various parts, rather than leaving the essence behind and just having the part. There was one I wanted to ask you about, because this was one that um, I originally thought you did, but I don't think you did do it. No, I did not do that. Yeah, I did not do that, and and I and I don't think Peter Saville did that. That's Vienna by Ultravox, by the way. And we're going to put all these albums in the screen. Uh, we'll do them in the show notes yeah, as well. It, so people can what have we're looking at is Ultravox Vienna. Yeah. yeah, but but if you if you compare that to Duran Duran, yeah. I like to think that the Duran Duran sleep has has a bit more poise. Oh, uh, it's I, more I, it's more I, richer. I kind of feel that that's just been the the type's just been stuck up. <laughs> what I tried to work with was the space. Yes. Finding yeah. finding a spatial balance so so that typography stood out, you know, was and did its job in the racks, you know, so you kind of scooting through. Definitely. You know, type always had to be in the top third. Mm. You know, pre CD uh, uh, it had to be in the top third. Or if you're Peter Savile, you just made sure that you didn't you work with bands that you didn't have to put any type on at all. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> but I, I never had You'd that. You'd have luxury. to. We used to have to pull it out from the actual record, uh, you know, the record yeah, yeah, shop yeah. again. I, I defy you to find the words "joy division" on uh, on unknown pleasures. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but it's funny you say that because actually I went to business music business school for a couple of years, and that was true. You used to say to us for your album, it needs to be up in the top third. 
You know, it's, yeah. yeah, it's mad. It's, yeah. only, it's, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Break the rules. That's what we always say. That's what punk is all about, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's like work out what the rules are, how they work, understand <laughs> the rules, and then you can bend them. I mean, mm. one of the things we used to do with Culture Club and, and, and one of the reasons that, that Virgin Records, their label, uh, was happy with me working with George is George was brilliant to work with because mm. he was so single-minded. Uh, and and towards you know his his kind of celebrated drug period he was getting even more and more rebellious uh, and um and he'd want to do do things despite virgin records or to wind them up and 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 i was sort of a safe pair of hands the record company knew that i could work with george keep george happy deliver what he wanted to see but it wouldn't be unprintable you know i wasn't i was if you like being the 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 uh, the diplomat, you know, I, I was I was brokering the re rebelliousness with the commercial constraints on behalf of the record company. So the record company trusted me to work with George, and George trusted me that I would convey what he wanted through the record company, and and so they didn't have to talk to one another in you know about that particular <laughs> yeah, aspect. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that I kind of replaced that conversation. Obviously not. Yeah. But but in terms of taking care of 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 you know those visual things, it was great. And and when George went solo was a great period. The first Boy George album, as opposed to Culture Club album, sold is great uh, because he's working with Judy Blame, the stylist, and he's and and he's doing taking all these great photos. I did a brilliant calendar. I say it's brilliant. Sorry, uh, <laughs> I did a calendar which had you know twelve photographs of george throughout uh, all styled by judy blame with and judy blame at had, had, had kind of used safety pins and stickers and tape and stuff to kind of weave messages and words or you know wrap um moe and shandon kind of uh, um gold labels around things and kind of was using and exploiting all this commercial imagery and and George's clothes, which I then picked up in the graphics and, and and the layout, and I got really into that. So the so the sold lettering, um, I just chopped up the Sex Pistols logo, oh, and, and got that. an S S O L P turned upside down to a D. So the so if you look at the sold lettering, then it's just the Pistols logo ah, chopped up, right? Which for me was kind of said everything George wanted to say. You know, he's wearing bondage trousers and 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 kind of picking up. You know, it's a good few years later, but he's picking yeah. up. There was a kind of resurgence in the punk look, yeah. But it was a very eighties version of it, yeah. And so, so having the Pistols logo um, as as a commercial. Um, <laughs> commercial front saying sold yeah it's a good message actually yeah it's a bit of a zig yeah. zig sputnik time at, the, at that time as well it was definitely it? yeah there yeah. was zig zig sputnik i thought were fantastic <laughs> yeah you know, they, were they, they, they were prophetic in so many ways you know yeah in, in terms of you know working with giorgio Moroda, mm. um sampling uh, you know them and and uh big audio dynamite i think very they much pioneered so. a whole new way of composing music that was that both had that punk energy the kind of disco energy but also a kind of real rebelliousness and and, and futuristic yeah absolutely 100 and i think as well the pet shop boys to a certain degree realized that as well and they cornered the market in that they kind of understood pop music 
because oh, Tennant, Tennant had been involved with Smash Hits, so he knew the well, scene really well. Well, there you really go. Well. Neil Tennant is just an amazing songwriter. Yeah. You know, he's he's a literary person. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he, he crafts a really good song. Yeah. But in the classic pop tradition, you know, the best pop songs are by the Beatles or they're by ABBA. Mm. They sound simple. But they ain't, they're far from simple. Yeah. They're really complex, sophisticated ideas that anyone can sing along to and, and can dismiss as being simplistic. But yeah. they ain't. And 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 Neil Tennant has that. I, I can't listen to I can't listen to more than about three Pet Shop Boys songs because <laughs> one distracts from the other. Yeah, and then when you look at something like Domino Dancing as well, which was completely different to it's a yes. sin, and yet yeah. they just seem to merge, you know, yeah. and and then, and then, of course, they work with Mark Farrow, who is a brilliant, brilliant uh, graphic designer. You know, he's he he grew up in this in this uh, Factory Records school of of design post Savile, mm. mm. but kind of took it. You know, there was there was a time when I'd be critical of him and say, "Come on, Mark, you, there are typefaces that are bigger than ten point." And that working relationship with with Pet Shop Boys from then from nineteen eighty one or whatever it was when he started working right to the present day is is testament to the fact that the visual component is a it needs to be it needs to have that consistency or if it has that consistency it can be successful and mark is is an essential component in the in the pet shop boys story Malcolm, before i let you go i asked this question of everybody right um i'm really interested yeah. in finding out what you're going to tell me um what are you reading watching or listening to at the moment well, I've got loads of reading to catch up on because, because literally, because of this cataract, uh -huh. and my eyesight. Uh, uh, I've not. I started a book in, um, and it's a bit of uh, it's a bit of Scandi Noir. Okay, I, li I like a good bit of Scandi Noir, and I started it in January. I struggled to get through half of it in six months. Okay, so I, and 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 I'm an avid purchaser of books. I was at Stoke Newington Literary Festival two weeks ago, right. buying more books. Uh, and so I so I've got a stack of books to catch up on too many to list here. What am I watching? It's not the it's not the film voting. I'm a BAFTA member, mm -hmm. which means I get invited to go and see screenings of films okay. throughout the year, but especially from about October through to January. Mm. And and I could I could watch up to about 140 films in that period, especially right. since they're now all online. But I love going to film screenings and I and 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 uh in order to tempt you to the screenings, the 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 film producers put on Q and A's after with Excellent. the actors yeah, or the producers that. or the writers and they are invariably fantastic. So I love film and again too many to list. But I'm watching too much Netflix at the moment. I, I, I don't actually have a have a uh, a television. I only I only have a laptop and and I choose to watch. You know, so I choose DVDs or I choose Netflix or I choose God forbid Amazon Prime or I choose you know all four or BBC Sounds and 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 I, and I like to catch up <laughs> but literally I've been watching lots of car programs mm -hmm. uh, hot rodding and racing on on Netflix hard drive and stuff <laughs> like that or Russ Brothers uh, restorers um so too much of that but music music let's come back to music mm -hmm. um and and I had to write down. I had to prep for this because obviously okay. I still listen. I still listen to, as I mentioned earlier, still listen to all that stuff. Yeah. From so I will periodically put on in the court of the Crimson King, 
Porn Hearts by Van de Graaff Generator. Wow. I'll even put on Je- uh, um, Peter Gabriel era Genesis, like Brilliant. Trespass or Nursery oh, yeah. Crime. <laughs> but but I happily, you know, I was I was fifty. It must have been fifteen or sixteen when I when I first came across Tangerine Dream. Oh yeah, and I wow. started I started to avidly listen to German Rubicon music. and <sighs> yeah. Well, no, before that, the first time I heard was Alpha Centauri. Oh wow, and then okay. Sight. Yeah, you know, really early before yeah. they found um, uh, sequences. Yeah, and 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 you know, people like Klaus Schulze, Ashra Temple, Cluster, Amondul, and Noi. The first three Noi, well, the only three Noi albums were fantastic. But happily, the guitarist from Noi, Michael Rota, in his eighties now, is still performing live. Yeah, it's great. And so I, I bought tickets to see him at the Barbican. Uh, next february mm-hmm. and he's just put out an album um with his his current girlfriend i should remember her name uh which is fantastic mm-hmm. so i'm listening to a brand new album that's only out less than a year from somebody i've been listening to since his first album in 1972. it's just great so 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 that kind of spans and, and other people i still listen to are like chris and cozy from mm-hmm. robin gristle putting out great stuff john fox oh. from the original travox yeah. he's still doing great stuff and doing yeah. all sorts of collaborations he's wonderful but in terms of new stuff i guess making that connection with german electronica niels Fram, fantastic uh, and i've seen niels Fram play he is a fantastic live experience uh, <laughs> and i just got a, i just got an email from the royal festival hall i think uh, reminding me that the tickets i've got to see neil's from are for july 2024 and not july 2023 because <laughs> <laughs> okay. i think i think because i i've had them for a year yeah. and so neil's from i love i also love billy eilish i think you know she is great her bond theme was magnificent it was totally 21st century totally today but completely in tune with the absolute classics whether it's goldfinger or Mm -hmm. thunderball or you only live twice you know those those early six which i grew up with yeah you know thunderball was the first bond film i saw at the cinema Mm -hmm. when when i must have been about nine i don't know how i got in because it was an a and you had to go with an adult (laughs) um so so i love the billy eilish no time to die it's just so brilliant uh, but a couple of other sort of bands that i've seen recently seen live and i thought i would mention this is a band from saint petersburg in russia and they're called short paris and if you go and check out their videos on um on youtube they're great they're mm-hmm. really really good they sing in russian and i went to see them live a couple of, before lockdown it must have been mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then there's a band from from east london and and they're eastern uh, they're middle eastern i'm not sure whether they're from the lebanon or from syria or but it's got that middle eastern vibe but very contemporary and they're called 47 soul they sing about east london but in a in a middle eastern kind of vibe with some great in they got i don't know what the instrument's called okay but it, you listen to this instrument and you go yeah that's middle eastern but oh, right. that sounds really good yeah. playing sort of dance rock kind of music so 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 those two last bands bring it right up to the up to the present but but yeah i do have to admit 
I, I believe in my uh, in my, uh, my own prediction that what you listen to when you were 15 is what you'll listen to forever. Yeah, it's true. It's the yeah. same for me, unfortunately. I'm to, to, to my kids' annoyance. Fortunately. Uh, to my kids' the, the annoyance. Unfor- the only unfortunate aspect is you try and convince much younger people that they should also be listening oh, to yeah, it. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. The SD card in my... It, it, there's war in my car over the SD card switching around all the time, you know? My nine-year-old... No, she just won't take it anymore. She's just said no more flock of seagulls, please. You know? well, well, I don't know whether you're familiar with with uh, Van de Graaff generator. No, but I, I have a very good Irish friend. He's from Wexford, lives in <laughs> in in Dublin now. Simon Roach. Mm-hmm. Hi, Simon, if you're listening. Um, I've been trying to convince him to listen to Porn Hearts by Van de Graaff Generator because I'm sure if he can get past the blinkers of not liking it, he would love it because it's lyrically so strong. And and one side of, of, of the album is like one, basically it's one poem and it's about the nature of, of human existence and it's called A Plague of Lighthouse Keepers. <laughs> so I am determined and it's 20 minutes long and I can, I can get very few people ever to listen to it. You know, my girlfriend just walks out, out of the room if I put it on, <laughs> uh, as does Simon. Um, but, I, but at my funeral, I'm determined to have that played. That's it. Because everyone will be forced to listen for the full 20 minutes <laughs> and not leave the room. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks very much for taking the time. We've had a, we've gone way over time, but you know what? I'm going to put this out as it is because um, we've had a great time chatting today and I've been, it's not very often you get the opportunity to talk to one of your idols and have a good laugh at the same time. So I appreciate well, you taking the time. It's been fantastic, Ken. Yeah. It really has been fantastic. And, and as you can, uh, as you can hear, I enjoy it. Listen, on behalf of all of the fans around the world who have you've brought so much joy to, um, thanks, Malcolm. Well, thank you. Thanks to all of you out there who have uh, been listening to us. I'm glad that you've stayed with us and I hope you enjoyed yourself. And um, I will talk to you very soon. So take care, y'all. Bye bye. Oh, 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 oh,